Well, good morning, church. As our children are dismissing for Children's Church, we want to say welcome, and we are so glad to hear all of our young voices as we sing, and it's a blessing to hear all of us sing, but I hope your heart was encouraged this morning as you heard our little ones praising the name of the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Yahweh Elohim, the one true God. What a wonderful thing to gather to worship today, and I want to invite you today to worship with us in truth and spirit, and we're going to do that by focusing on what God's given us to guide our path of worship, and how do we do that? We do that by turning to his scriptures and finding our place for today's text. As I'm working through the Corinthian letters with our church, we're looking at what was going on in the life of the church in Corinth, and what was Paul addressing to this church who had written some letters to Paul, and they wanted some questions clarified about the Christian walk. Well, what do we do, and how do we do this, and why should we not do that, and is it okay if we do this, and what about this issue of marriage, and that's kind of where we find our place today in chapter 7. He's going to continue to give some instruction to the church about this issue that I've entitled being undistracted in the things that God has called us to as the church, as the body of Christ. And for Corinth, as we'll find in verse 25, they were distracted over the issue of of marriage and whether it was okay to marry, should they abstain from marriage, and, and this whole marriage relationship that God has given creation. What do we do with that? And Paul's going to give some instructions as we're going to see through the text about how do we live a life as the church, undistracted and totally fixed on our Lord and Savior. Brother Robert, as he opened us in prayer, and I don't know if he read the notes already, but he he mentioned the word undistracted in our service. Lord, help us to not be distracted as the Word of God is proclaimed and as we worship Him. And I will tell you, that's a prayer that we can apply to our life, can't we? Undistracted. Here's an image for you. I want to share with you an image of Times Square. Now, when you walk downtown Times Square, when you look around right off the bat, if you're like me, my sensory overload just exploded. Okay, I'm like the guy chasing the squirrel, right? I mean, next thing you know, you're on something else, then you're over here, then you're back over here, and you don't know how to set yourself. You got to go to a quiet, dark place and just calm down for a minute, right? Because that's the world we live in, and for you and me, that that's not peaceful to me. That's extremely overload. Now, there's some that dig it. That's what they need to 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 get their how they are wired. They love that, and that's just exciting to them. And and I tell them that too will pass as you get a little older you'll want a little more calmness going on in life. Well, what is going on in this life? Let me share with you a picture real quick. There's another image that I have of a man. You ever walk across the street and really not pay attention to what you're doing? Now, I don't have the video for it because the video is pretty pretty hilarious, but this guy here, obviously, he's looking at this car. I call it mad mugging, right? He's giving you that look like, don't you see me? And he continues to walk watching that driver, and he's not paying attention to what happens. And the video shows it much more hilariously, but he runs smack dab into this post, and while he's trying to ridicule the driver, he ain't paying attention to what he's doing himself, and he becomes the distraction, right? Now, how often in life do we do that? We're so fixated on something else that while we're walking, we run smack dab into something that we didn't want to hit, that we didn't want to encounter, that if we had kept our eyes wide open and aware of what was going on, we wouldn't have been distracted by the other shiny things and gotten ourselves in a predicament, potentially. Well, I relate that to that's kind of what Paul is writing and the purpose to this letter to the, Corinth as he's, to the church in Corinth as he's responding to this issue. So let's turn our attention to the text and the Scripture for a moment, and let's look what he's going to teach us in some principles to live undistracted. 
Picking up in chapter 7, verse 25, we're going to read through 40, bear with me. The words will be on the screen, but I want us to hear what the Spirit speaks to us through the Scriptures, then we'll go back and we'll look at it and examine it more closely. Picking up in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you, if, you, and if excuse me, a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And all the ladies say amen, right? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And all the men say, amen, right? And his interests are divided. Thank you, brother. There's at least one honest man in this room. Verse 34, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having the desire under control, and is determined in his heart to keep her as a betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let us pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the divine inspiration of this word as Paul was recording what the Holy Spirit led him to share with the church in Corinth. And as it was applicable then, Father, we know that there are lessons that are applicable in our life, in our context, in our world today. For your word is unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Father, help us to understand the concepts of what is going on in this text and help us to apply the perspectives to our life to live undivided as we seek to serve you more each and every day. We thank you for it. Have your way now. If there's one here that does not know you, Father, may the division of sin be reconciled today. May we truly be undistracted in unrighteousness and restored through salvation to you. Father, we thank it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me share with you what we're going to look at today and our takeaway, if you will. We're going to get some principles that Paul lays out for the church on how do we process the distractions that come. In the text that we just read, there were several issues that Paul brought up, and he explained to the church in Corinth about this issue relating it to marriage, but other aspects as it relates to worldly possessions and the things we have to do to provide for our family and all of that stuff 
we're going to learn a few things that will help, I hope, process the distractions of life. Let's start back in verse 25 as I share with you a proclamation of distracted living. A proclamation of distracted living that we see here, what Paul tells the church there. He says, now being concerned, now concerning the betrothed, if you remember, he's responding to something he was asked by the church. Now concerning this issue, because they had written to him, now we don't have any record historically of what this Corinthian letter to Paul was. All we have is the response back to the church of the things that they were wondering about and had wanted some clarity on. So he responds directly in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. See, Paul is going to give some spiritual discernment to the church on how to lead and how to guide them. You ever heard the term, there's some things that are good that we do, and then there's some things that are best that we do? And that we pray that as a godly people, we use godly discernment to help us do some things? I love it when there's issues that are very black and white, that are very clear in our, in our Christian walk. Don't do this, but you can do this, right? Thou shalt not kill. That's pretty black and white, right? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not, etc. And the list goes on and on. We see those. That's very clear where God stands on those issues. And then there's other areas in life where God's like, I don't care which way you go. You can do either. Which one do you want to do? It's not a sin if you do this. It's not a sin if you do that. As long as it's not a sin, y'all with me? right? God sometimes doesn't care what we do in that situation in serving Him as long as we're serving Him faithfully. Too often we get bound up in how we do it or the mechanism that we're going to serve. A challenge I know in answering the call to ministry is I work with men that are sensing the call to some level of ministry, whether it's coming to a Sunday school teacher class and teaching or whether it's becoming a deacon and serving the church or whether it's even a call to ministry. Often there's this great struggle because God may not be calling you directly to that role. He may be saying, whatever you do, right, as Paul writes, do all for the glory of the Lord. Serve him faithfully right where you are. We spent a whole sermon last week talking about that very issue. That no matter where you are, whatever condition you were called, serve God faithfully there. But Paul brings out the issue in this proclamation of distracted living that there's an urgency. He calls it a present distress in verse 26 that's going on. Now, when we look at that a little deeper, it means Paul's talking about the daily necessities of life that we have to do. Matter of fact, we have a word in our American culture that we use to try to escape the daily presences of life, the daily necessities, don't we? That word's called vacation, right? I had a brother once share with me, he said, you know, here's how I define vacation. It's an alternate place in which I respond to emails, text messages, and phone calls. That's really not the idea of vacation, right? We want to take vacations because we want to get away from the present distress and the present stressors of life, the things that are essential that I have to do every single day. Every now and then we just want a break. And Paul is giving us a proclamation here that the distressors of life, those things that are happening, he says, I think in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Man, there's all kinds of things going on in our life. The daily necessities have to happen, but we're not to lose our focus on what we're doing serving God. And Paul brings that out in the way of relating it to marriage, which was directly the question the Corinthian church asked. If you've kept up at all over the years with Roman Catholicism and the issue of priests being married or unmarried, I find it challenging for me personally, theologically, when I look at this unnecessary burden placed upon the office of priesthood. Even the early apostles were married, some of them. 
Why would we put that unnecessary restraint on it? Here, Paul teaches clearly that it's okay for marriage, but it's also good if you're not married. He's very clear about that in verse 26 at the end of it. And verse 27 says, are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you're a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will indeed have worldly troubles, right? And I would spare you of that. The contentment in current circumstances that Paul is trying to bring to our attention is to learn how do we navigate the things that are necessary in daily life, but still being content with one another, loving one another. Marriage is absolutely challenging, and only those who don't get married think it's not, right? I mean, y'all remember the, the, the betrothed period of that engagement time frame where things were just on heaven, you couldn't breathe without her, she couldn't breathe without you, that's how Shannon and I were, right? Shannon in here? No, she's not in here, right? We couldn't breathe without each other. I've shared that before a few times. I won't belabor the issue, but we know what that period's like. And then there's a reason we call it a honeymoon period, right? And now we have that in lots of different aspects of our life, not just marriage. When you take a new job, there's a honeymoon period when you take the new job. For pastors, when they take a new church, there's a, a period of grace. They call it the honeymoon period where he, you're okay. If you make a few mistakes, people will forgive you. But eventually that period stops. And everything you do from that point along, that point forward will be held against you in a court of law, right? We know that happens in our marriages as well. Everything's good, and then all of a sudden we start having to live with the idiosyncrasies of our partners. And then it begins to drive us nuts, like how they squeeze the toothpaste or where they put their socks or how they do different things, right? Drives us crazy to little stuff. Paul is reminding us here that marriage is challenging, Matter of fact, so much that Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, here's what Jesus says about this issue of being married or not being married or remaining celibate. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 19, picking up in verse 10, Jesus says the following, The disciples had said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry, Right? So Jesus had got done giving a discourse about this issue of marriage and why there was divorce and why Abraham was allowed to give a decree of divorce. And he made it clear to those that were asking him, which were the religious folks, is it okay to divorce my wife? And Jesus was making it clear that the decree of divorce was only given because of the hardness of the heart of the Israelites. And Jesus goes on to talk about the issue, the only exception for divorce, the only provision for divorce permissible, according to Scripture, is infidelity. So his disciples respond by asking Jesus after that discussion is over with, they turn to him and say, hey, uh, so is it better if we just stay single or what do we do here? That's the, the context of their question. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? And here's Jesus' response in verse 11. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. Y'all catch that part? Not every man is called to be single. Not every man is called to marry. Then he goes on to clarify. He says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have made, been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Jesus was pointing out clearly the fact that there are birth defects that make us not able uh, to fulfill that role. There are some who choose or who are made that way, like Daniel. Any of y'all remember reading the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the prophecy? Daniel became a eunuch, not by his choice, but he was made that way, not to have relationships with women. And then there are some who naturally are okay without that relationship that go on and serve the Lord faithfully in other ways. 
Jesus brought out all three characteristics here. So Paul is giving us, first off, in these three verses, a proclamation that distractions will come in our life, to be aware of them, but to continue to focus on the Lord. I want to share a picture with you uh, of, of one of the greatest distractions we have today, as we know, as we're driving, right? Distracted driving today is starting to account for more fatalities than any other issue on the road for the Department of Motor Vehicles. Distracted driving is absolutely one of the lead causes of the following image of what we see all over our nation. Now, why do I share that with you? Folks, there's a lot of us in our Christian walk that are walking distracted, and we don't even recognize the dangers of what's happening. A little ding on the phone, a little ding somewhere else, and all of a sudden we take our eyes off what we're supposed to be focusing on, and then we're in a train wreck, literally, with our life. Same thing happens with us spiritually when we start to get distracted with the other things except God. And before you know it, we get so derailed, we can't even hear from God anymore. It's almost as if we blocked him out. You know, you go on your phone and you put do not disturb. Often we've done that in our relationship with God where we say, you know what, God, I don't want to hear from you right now. I'm too busy with all the other things distracting me in life. I'm good. And we don't even see the danger of what's happening. So what do we do with that? Paul's going to give us some, some understanding. He's going to make a plea, if you will, to live undistracted to do God's work. To live undistracted. Look with me in verse 29. We'll read through 31 again. This is what I mean, brothers. Now, this could kind of be the, the highlight paragraph of the whole text. Of all 15 verses we're reading, these three verses here are absolutely critical for us. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. There's a plea that Paul is making to the church in Corinth. And brothers and sisters, I argue that same plea needs to be made in the church today. We are so distracted And I'll let you in on a little secret. Sometimes we can even be distracted in how busy we are doing church stuff and programs and processes and all the ministries that sometimes we lose sight. You ever ever find yourself serving somewhere in the church and you get so burnt out you realize until someone does a spiritual temperature check on you, you haven't worshipped God in ages. You haven't been in a Bible study. You haven't intaked and ingested the Word of God that, according to Don S. Whitney, in the spiritual disciplines of life we're working through, biblical intake is the most vital, important thing to your spiritual soul. And will work you to death often in a church, but you haven't worshipped in ages. You haven't been in a Bible study. You haven't been in a prayer meeting. You haven't been in fellowship with the body of Christ. And we wonder why we get burned out. Because sometimes we can even get distracted in doing church work. Pastor after pastor today leave the church from ministry because they've gotten burnt out because they've been ministering out of their own ability as opposed to ministering out of the overflow from their worship of God. Happens to pastors alike. Happens to Sunday school teachers. Happens to deacons and leaders in the church and elders as they leave serving in ministry because they're distracted. Definitely happens in our personal life when our business distracts us from the things of God, when our work distracts us from those things. Why is distracted living such an issue? This word kairos that we see in the New Testament that Paul uses here of being distracted, time is short. It's an indefinite period of time marked by specific attributes. And last time I checked, there's a reason every single headstone has a dash in between it. 
because there's a start point and there's an end point. And we all have that amount of time in between. And Paul is reminding us that our time is short. His time was short, and I would argue our time is just as short. Time is short. That's why we need to understand the plea that he's making. What could we do with our life? You ever thought about that? Have you ever written down, hey, at the end of my life, if I was to write my epitaph today, what would I want said about my life? Well, if we're still breathing, we have an opportunity to influence that while we're still here. Think about that when you go home today. What would I want someone to share with me? I had the privilege of providing the services for a family yesterday at a funeral. And what a sweet time of remembering. As people drew on their memories and shared all that they remembered of this wonderful Christian woman. And one after another, they shared all of the things that she spent her time doing to honor the Lord and to serve His church and to love her family and to prepare and to be a Proverbs 31 woman. What would your epitaph look like tomorrow if you read it in a newspaper? Would it honor God? I want to share with you a slide, uh, and I'm not a medical doctor, right? But here's what the, the doctors say about this issue of anxiety. And Paul is going to use this word at least six times, and Jesus is going to use it fairly often in the Sermon on the Mount and his teaching in Matthew's Gospel. But this word anxiety that we have here, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the ADAA, they say the following about this issue of anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 or older. 18.1% of the population every year suffer for some medically diagnosed issue of anxiety. We all say, amen, right? Because we understand what that's like. We, we, we either live with someone or we have it ourselves, or we struggle with that issue. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. Man, 70% almost, 64% don't ever get treatment for their anxiety issues. Now, if we understand that in our medical secular world of how much anxiety impacts us, don't you think God's Word has something to say about being anxious and, and be having this issue of anxiety? Anxiety disorders, according to ADAA, develop from a complex set of risk factors, including genetics, brain, chemistry, personally, and life events. So why does this matter to the church? Well, let's see what Paul says about this issue of anxiety. In verses 32 through 35, Paul will use the word anxiety six different times to remind us what he's talking about in this issue of living undistracted. Picking up in verse 34, 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This very word, anxiety, there's a purpose for us to live undistracted. And Paul's telling us right at the end of that text what that purpose was so that we can indeed be free of trouble and worry, free from concern, as anxiety means, to be carefree from anxiety, so that we can indeed devote ourselves to the Lord. 
I'm reminded often as we get caught up in reading scripture and and doing church and going to Bible studies and going to prayer meetings and trying to prioritize how I spend my time doing those things. Folks, you know that's all just the training ground for what it's going to be like when we spend eternity with God in heaven. And if you're flat out bored with church right now, you're going to hate being in heaven, right? I mean, think about it. Oh, do I really got to go again? Well, when we have that concern, man, but when we change the perspective of understanding, we're training for an event that is going to carry on and last for our life in eternity if we're in Christ Jesus. Opportunity to worship our Lord, to be undevoted, undivided attention given to God. So much so in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, in, this, in verse 25, he starts out and telling us about anxiety issues. And Jesus was sharing with his disciples, and he was sharing with those on the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest teachings that goes from chapter 5 all the way to the beginning of chapter 8, the end of chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel. Three chapters of teaching for the church and for those followers of Christ. Here's what Jesus says about anxiety. He says, There I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And he goes on to continue. Let me skip down to verse 33 for a minute. He puts it all in perspective and he says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right? How many of y'all wake up in the morning and I pray that as well? I say, Lord, I know today is sufficient for its own trouble, so help me deal with whatever it is I'm going to deal with. And, you know, it's not always a major train wreck of issues that go on. I was putting some fence posts in at my property the other day. I was putting some, some fencing up for my animals, and, and I had to put some Criso fence posts in. And, of course, my gas-powered auger didn't work. I don't have one of them, them tractor augers and them nice little bobcat augers to dig a hole. No, I had to, I had to me and myself auger, right? I was doing it by hand. One of those sweat, those weight loss programs, I was on that last week. So I'm digging the hole, and I woke up that morning. That was part of my prayer. Lord, help me help today be sufficient for its own grace. And guess where I had to put that fence in? I was putting it right on the front of my property where all those beautiful pine trees were. And it seemed like right next to every pine tree was where that post needed to go. So I'm sitting there with that auger, and and you know what I was expecting. Every hole was just going to be a fight to the death. I was going to dig a hole, then come back next week and dig the next one. That, That was kind of my plan. Folks, I got through digging all those holes with the easiest amount of time I've ever had in my life. I'm talking a foot off a pine tree now. Now, how could that be? Now, I said, Lord, thank you. Every hole, I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that one. Moving on to the next one. Thank you for that one. Moved on. I think I praised Jesus every single fence post I put in my property because it was like butter. Now, I don't know if my prayers that morning had anything to do with it, but I promise you this, it didn't hurt. Amen? Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. And I said, Lord, thank you for the blessings today and just the simple task of digging a fence post hole because you've made it so much easier for me. Folks, the purpose for us to live undistracted, God wants nothing but the best for us. What did he tell us in John 10, 10? I came so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Now, that's not prosperity gospel, folks. That's the reality of the Savior we serve that wants us to be abundantly blessed in all that our hands touch and do for his glory. Whether it's putting a fence post in, or whether it's doing a heart transplant, or whether it's providing some care for somebody somewhere, whether it's doing occupational therapy, whatever your hands do, God wants to bless us 
through it, and he wants to bless others in it while you're doing it. But man, we get too caught up often. Paul reminds us of the purpose for undistracted living, that we can devote ourselves and our attention to the Lord. But we'll close out in verses 36 through 40, and he's going to give us this permission, I call it, the permission to live undistracted. Notice in verse 36, he says, If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be... Now, I caught that when I was reading through this, and I, I never noticed that, that little, little phrase he puts in between the commas. Almost like he's begging those in Corinth, Brother, you know not what you ask. Uh, but if it has to be, then go ahead and do it, right? Now, we find it funny, those of us who have been, been, been married a few decades. If you haven't, just be quiet right now. It's okay. Uh, but if you have, we, we know it can be difficult. And Paul is, is reminding us here how challenging. He says, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do even better. He will do well, excuse me. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I do think, I, I, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. See, what we see here in this text, Paul, number one, he answers the hard questions being asked to him. He shares with their, the church in Corinth what, what he believes from his discernment from God, from his appointment as an apostle of God, as his discernment from the Holy Spirit, and he gives them a response to help lead that church in, in the scriptural matter, so much that we still have the same very thing today, preserved by the Spirit of God for our benefit and for our use. Sometimes there are hard questions in church that have to be answered by Scripture. But either way, settle the issue in your heart. If you're struggling today, and I don't know who you are with the issue of being married or not being married or some other distraction that you may have in your life right now that's creeping in there, all I can give you for advice as a pastor is go to the Lord and seek His counsel. Pray. Say, God, give me guidance and direction on this issue. Help me know with certainty what you'd have me to do. And here's what I found. When I pray that, if you pray that, God will give you an answer. You may not like what you get. So you keep praying. Well, God, Lord, I didn't like that answer. I, you know, I'll keep praying about it for a little while. right? But we know that we need to settle that issue in our heart. We see here relating to the issue of marriage, either what we're doing, whether we're married or not, as long as we are faithful to the Lord, it is no sin. As he preached to us and taught to us earlier in the chapter 7, whatever job we have, whatever vocation we have, as long as we're doing it with good faith and serving the Lord, we can be faithful to it. And lastly, what I think we see from Paul also in verse 40, as he tells us based on his own judgment, we can learn from others' life's experience. Paul is saying, hey, I've been through some of this stuff. I, I kind of have some perspective, some discernment, some judgment that God has given me. And here's what I share with you. It's better not to marry, but if you are married, it's not a sin either. You can do either. Settle it in your own heart. Seek the Lord's guidance on it. So as we started off, my illustration of of the calm or the chaos, if you will, of, of what's going on there in Times Square. Um, what we're all seeking, I think, in life 
is we're seeking this. We, we want that pretty dock, that pristine water. We don't want any ripples. Doesn't that look good, y'all? I mean, that's where we're fixing to go. We're fixing to go hang out there for a little while. We all want that. But unfortunately, we're not able to obtain that in life often. And I would argue we're not able to obtain that without the help of Jesus. Here's what real peace and calm and tranquility looks like. And it only happens for us in our life when we come to Christ. It's through the understanding of what Christ has done for us in our life, through the sufficiency of what God has, is allowing us to do and how we can live through His strength, honoring Him, being undistracted by the things of the world. It is only through Christ that we can understand the calm in the midst of a storm. If you remember Jesus' disciples when the seas were raging around and He was sleeping in the back of the boat and His disciples were scared to death about what was going on, they woke Him up and said, Do you not even care that we're about to die? What did Jesus say as He was resting in the storm? Peace be still. And even the water stopped. Folks, if you've got a storm in your life and you're trying to battle it on your own, it's an impossible task. But with Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you come to Christ, if your salvation is secure, folks, it's Christ that allows us to have the calmness in our life. It's Christ that tells us to not be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let us pray together as we close our our service. So, Father, we thank you for the day, and I pray now as this message has been shared, the truth of your proclamation about this issue of being undistracted, whether it be in marriage or some other aspect of our life. Lord, this world loves to distract us with its signs and its billboards and its marketing and, and its pressures and demands and all these things we often allow to creep in. But, Father, your word remains clear that we are to remain undistracted so that we can indeed focus on the priority of worshiping and loving you, serving you, and helping others come to know you through our undivided devotion to you. So, Father, I pray here for each and every member of this church, each and every guest that's here that has a relationship with you through Christ Jesus, that their salvation is secure, that has professed their sins, that has repented of them, and has put their trust and faith in believing in Christ Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Father, I pray that you give your church the strength to endure. May we live undistracted from the challenges of life. May we help one another in removing distractions and burdens. May we be the church you've called us to be in meeting needs so that none of them had a need. Father, help us to live undistracted so we may serve you faithfully. Lord, and I pray if there's one here today that does not know you, Lord, I believe wholeheartedly salvation is the work of God. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction where it is needed would bring sin to the forefront of our mind and the need for redemption and salvation to each and every person that is listening to this message, that if they died today and stood before you, would not be able to answer, why should I let you in? With a response, because I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray today that your conviction would draw them into a repentant position in their life, to repent of their sins and turn towards you to seek you with all of their heart, with all of their strength. Father, we thank you for the privilege today to be with Pastor Corey now as he leads us in song as we celebrate the goodness of your love and your mercy. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.